the British Wrestling Experience with Martin, Ollie, and Benno. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com. I'm your host Martin Bushby and joining me is Richard Benson, aka Benno, and sadly Ollie cannot be with us this week. So Benno, I mean we've been just talking off air a bit and it sounds like you're made up with cold. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, we were both in York Hall at the weekend, weren't we? And I think I shook too many hands in the Dundee Arms and managed to uh, to get myself a bit sick. Maybe it was just travelling around on the tube on London in London. It's uh, it's never good. Um, but I'm going to soldier through. Uh, you might hear me hit the mute button every now and then to to cough or sneeze. It's nothing to be messed with, man. Flu, but I'm a soldier, Martin. I'm here, <laughs> and we've got plenty of exciting things to talk about. So yeah, glad I'm here too. Indeed. Well, um, you just know it that you made your first pilgrimage to York Hall in London this past Friday. I mean, a venue that's played host to such titans as Lennox Lewis, Nigel Benn, Joe Calzaghe, and now the great O'Conn. I mean, how, <laughs> how was how was your first experience of York Hall before we get into the show itself? It's funny, I was talking to Arm Furious and the pub of Voices of Wrestling and he just couldn't get over the fact that I'd not been to York Hall. Obviously, I've been following British wrestling for a long time and I... Obviously been aware of the, the big shows at your call. I don't know what it is. That's just meant that I've never made the trip. Uh, maybe part of it's the fact that the, the shows finish kind of late, don't they? It mm. means an overnight stopover. And when I've come down to Repro, like last year, I went to, uh, Walthamstow and your calls just never lined up. It was, it was an experience. It's one of those venues where. I mean, you see it for the box, and it looks incredible, doesn't it, on Sky Sports? Yeah. It doesn't look so incredible on Repro's On Demand. <laughs> uh, but there's definitely a charm to it, isn't it? It was just, and being there was was cool. I, I, I heard a few people that we were with kind of saying that it wasn't as, as busy as it usually is. Um, but I thought the atmosphere was really good in there. It's a, a building that I think carries sound quite well. I've... Again, maybe it's the Rev Pro VOD where where sound doesn't always sound great, but in the building uh, it really made for a for a good atmosphere. And yeah, I could finally uh, tick that one off because uh, it is yeah, it's a it's a place I've always wanted to to get to, and I'm, I'm glad I finally did. Yeah, I've always really enjoyed it as a venue. I like these sort of like old school British venues that are steeped in history. And like you know, there the acoustics are always really good in them. Obviously, we saw WWE run that venue in Blackpool uh, for NXT, and then obviously the Walthamstow Assembly Halls. Um, where Red Pro also runs. So, yeah, I do really like that they constantly run York Hall in these sort of, like, old-style British venues because they're always, yeah. they always, like, always, like, going in them and seeing, like, you know, feeling the history in there. But, anyway, enough about the venue itself and on to the show. Um, Red Pro held their annual Summer Sizzler event on the 17th of August. And, um, I mean, as noted in the intro, me and Benno were there live. And uh, the big match that must have been the, the major ticket seller for the majority of people was Walter taking on Tomohiro Ishii. And this is Ishii four days removed from the G1. I mean, this had to be one of the most brutal matches i have ever witnessed live i mean i think because i was so close to the ring the thunderous chops from walter really really made me wince in this one and it was <laughs> i think it was everything you hoped for going in big chops suplexes galore ishii being the ultimate warrior you know that we've come to know and love and uh i mean coming from this match before getting to the result itself i mean ishii must be one of the front runners for wrestler of the year benno definitely i mean just based on the, the g1 that 
I mean, how insane is it that he had that G1 where he had that incredible match with Kenny Omega, that incredible match with Kota Ibushi, didn't stop on any night, even on the last night when he's already eliminated, he's still having awesome matches going all out with Juice Robinson, and then, yeah, <laughs> he flies over five, six days later to, to your call, and he's he's willing to take even more punishment, just, that's why he's so many people's wrestler of the year, he just, I think he... He just doesn't have an off switch, uh, and there's I think there's a minimum standard for an Ishii match, and that was kind of my thought. I thought even if he's banged up coming into this Walter match, we're gonna we're gonna get something special either way, um, and we did. Uh, but you can just rely on him. I think that's what what we all love about him. God help him in in ten fifteen years when he's probably going to be feeling the effects of these kind this kind mm. of schedule and the the kind of punishment he's willing to take. But yeah, just uh, if you said that he's the best wrestler in the world, uh, I don't think I'd argue too much. I mean, what were your thoughts on the result? Um, Ishii picked up the win here, didn't he? I think this was uh, quite a surprise to me as I thought Walter was going to beat Ishii and then go on to face uh, Red Pro champion Minoru Suzuki, but it seems uh, we're probably more likely going to get a rematch of Ishii and Suzuki from uh, mm. the strong style of old UK events uh, from the other month. I mean, I'm not complaining, obviously, about seeing that match again, <laughs> but um, I do hope we get Walter v Suzuki at some point along the line. Yeah, I mean... They're both good options, aren't they? I mean, I was the same as you, though, going in. I did kind of see it as a foregone conclusion. It felt like at the SSE UK shows, it was clear that the path we were on, Walter was going to go over Ishii, and then we're going to get Walter adding to his collection and winning the Rev Pro title as well. Didn't go that way. Um, I mean, the, the people who are critical of Rev Pro sometimes will say, you know, too often the Japanese talent goes over the Rev Pro guys, and this was a show where that did happen a few times. Um so I suppose there's a, there's a crit- criticism from that point of view, but does it matter a huge amount that because we're gonna get we're gonna get to see uh, Ishii and Suzuki in a, in a Pro ring for a British title? That's a big deal, yeah. regardless. And I mean, maybe it's a scheduling thing. Maybe they couldn't get Walter for a, a certain date that they could get Suzuki for. It's hard to to really say, but I do think yeah, Walter's going to be there or thereabouts in the the Rev Pro title scene. He's Rel- I wouldn't say new to Rev Pro, but this push of him in Rev Pro is relatively new. Um, I'm not panicking yet, although yeah, you know it is. It was a little bit disappointing. I really, I love the match. I haven't got much critique about the match itself, but there was a moment near the end of the match where I was just in the crowd hoping Walter was going to make that that one last comeback, and it, it didn't come. But maybe that says everything about how drawn into the match and and the outcome I was. I did love it in the post match as well when. Um... Walter dragged Ishii back in the ring and offered him his hand, oh. and he was like, "No, no, I'm not accepting your handshake." And sort of like pointed to his chest again, and Walter gave him another thunderous <laughs> chop, and Ishii sort of walked off laughing. Oh, I love that about him. It's just, yeah, I mean, you weren't going to get a straight handshake where you between the two. It was almost like Walter was trying to do that uh, chop exchange, um, respect exchange he did with PCO at uh, WrestleMania weekend, but Ishii just kind of almost laughed it off and walked off, didn't he? After the chop, that's just the the kind of wrestler he is, but. He'll have he'll have some stains on that chest for a while because my God, those chops. I mean, I mentioned earlier the maybe the sound doesn't always come across in the VOD. So anyone listening who's going to watch on the VOD, I watch the match back a second time and they do sound loud, but there's nothing compared to being live in the building no. as the man. It was just the difference between. I think I think the the main. I don't know the main exchange that's uh, put over what this match was was Ishii continually trying to chop. 
Walter and Walter coming back with chops that sounded about 10 times as loud, but it doesn't stop Ishii still coming back and hitting more chops of his own. It's almost like over an amount of time, he's hoping that he's going to be able to do the same damage that a, that a big Walter chop can do. Uh, it kind of, that kind of tells the story of what this, this match was. It was Walter's big moves against Ishii's just incredible selling. There was a chop, wasn't there, where Walter chopped Ishii when he was on the second rope and he just kind of died and just, laid across the top rope and was just finished and everyone in the building just kind of felt the same way for for poor poor Tomohiro Ishii it was just a a match that again we talked about you know I mean finally making it down to your call uh, I wasn't missing this match in a million years and it and it really was something special to be there and to to hear those chops and to to see the fight between the two it was very much a, a G1 level match you know talking about the G1 with Ishii and it just it could have disappointed. It could have been a lower end DC match, but I'll put it up there with some of his best stuff from this year. It was just absolutely incredible. I mean, I spoke then about uh, Walter V. Ishii being the main ticket seller for this, but um, there was an incredible tag match just before the uh, interval at halftime. I mean, uh, it must have been the best match of the undercard, um, a match that happened completely by accident. I mean, this was originally supposed to be Aussie Open against Killer Elite Squad, and Obviously, quite understandably, Davey Boy Smith Jr. couldn't make the show due to the uh, funeral of Jim Neidhart. So uh, they had a reshuffle, and we got the original CCK pairing of Chris Brooks and Jonathan Gresham, who Gresham was in the country for the ROH UK tour, which taking place the same weekend against Aussie Open. I mean, these guys went all out, didn't they, Benno? I mean, some insane hmm. offense in this one. It was hard to keep up with the match at some points. Yeah, it was. I mean, being there live, it was. It was kind of. I was. I was where I was stood at the merch table, just in front of the merch table. Ishii was right behind us watching this match. You couldn't really tell whether he was enjoying it or not. But <laughs> you can't really tell if Ishii's enjoying anything. Um, but you're right. Yeah, it was kind of so much going on that it is hard to, to keep up sometimes with tags like this. I think they worked it well, though. I think, again, that it was maybe it started slowly and it started with a lot of, you know, legwork from the CCK star side and a lot of Gresham technical stuff. But when it hit that second gear, my God, did it. And these matches aren't always for me either. I'm not always, when you go too far with the kickouts, sometimes it's a bit much for me. That And they did go, it was kind of like a five, ten minute stretch at the end, wasn't yeah. it? With, with a, a lot of big stuff and people's mileage may vary on whether they enjoy that style. But as far as four guys to, to put a match like this together, I think it, it really worked. You got, I don't think there's anyone with a better hot tag right now than, than Mark Davis. Just explosive isn't the word for him when he hits the ring and hits his big strikes and hits his big moves and. Gresham is someone who maybe not everyone's entirely familiar with, but anyone who'd watch him in this match, putting all those combos he does together, you know, I think he hits a suicide dive, followed by a line salt, followed by a shooting star press all in quick succession. There was a lot of kind of tying big spots together. That was the, the kind of match that it was. And yeah, maybe the kickout segments of the match went a, a slight bit too long, but there were levels to it and, when the the big moves happened, and I say kickouts, a lot of it was you know the partner making the save. I think that always helps in a match like this, so you don't lose you know believability yeah. too much. And again, you know they kick out of so much big stuff. Sometimes you think once the finish comes, or oh, is that it? But when uh, I don't know what Davis calls it, but he hits like a Super Dragon style psycho driver, doesn't he? That was the yeah. the finish here. And once he hits that, you know the match is over. That's it. It's done. Um, yeah, it's it's just again sometimes there is a danger in a match like this of doing too much, but it brought the house down after a, a first half that I saw mixed reviews on and it did turn into 
being one of the matches that I heard a lot of people talking about coming out of this outside of Ishii and Walter. Well, it seems to be a, an Aussie Open special, this, doesn't it? Having these sort of like pre-interval tag matches. I know they had one against uh, the Chosen Bros and Matt Riddle and Jeff Cobb um, in Red Pro earlier this year. And, mm. and they seem to be like doing the, you know, they, they seem to be putting on these spectacular tag team matches all around the country, don't they? Yeah, that's it. And that's kind of how they're getting their name out there. They're a, it's funny seeing them now, just seeing them live. One thing I noted did take about them was just how different they look, you know, mm. from the... When I first went to see them, I think Fight Club Pro was the first uh, show that I saw them live at, and they were both had very plain ring gear, and Kyle Fletcher was very skinny, and Mark Davis was, you know, he wasn't in the best of shape. They both put a lot of effort into their, their look. They've got uh, great ring gear now, and they've come along as wrestlers as well, and I just think the whole package is really there right now with matches like this having like you say touring and tearing the house down in these you know uh first half main event style tags they're just uh they've got they're getting quite the reputation right now and yeah maybe if maybe ishii wasn't impressed but hey maybe if uh, anyone from new japan watches this they might be impressed and they could be a team that they could uh bring in uh later in the year for tag league or to see you know uh, what else they could do with them because They've, they're really, really uh, putting together a great uh, selection of matches there for, for people to watch. And again, this was a, another great example of that. And then jumping around the card here, we had um, two CMLL talent. We had a Soberano Jr. against Teton. And Teton, I saw him live at York Hall for ROH last year. And uh, he really, really spectacular, really impressed me. And this was like a showcase match for these two guys uh, making their Red Pro debuts here, weren't they? I mean, uh, lots, lots of different uh, varied lucha moves. And uh, the crowd went into it to the start off with, mm-hmm. but I thought they really, really won them over towards the end. Yeah, they kind of had an awkward spot didn't they come in out after intermission and after you know the match we've just uh, uh raved about uh it's hard isn't it to come out and, and mm. do a match and, and get the crowd back into it especially being you know two people who okay big names worldwide but uh, the average you know red pro or british wrestling fan you you might not know the, the two men that i haven't seen a lot of i remember seeing t-town at the the ring of honor shows uh i think it was a couple of years ago now uh over in the uk uh but i do think they they got people invested i think the a lot of it, the fact that T-Town was almost playing a heel and going for the mask a lot and Soberano was being a bit more honourable gave the match a, a bit of story so that when they did, you know, do their spots and they did a lot of them, you know, the Superanas and the, that T-Town moonsault to the outside where he, from my vantage point, it looked like he went back first on this, onto the stairs. Yeah, it was, it was pretty wince-inducing, wasn't oh, it? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, but there's a lot of spots like that. But again, yeah, I think the, the story, the match pulled people in and it gives Rev Pro something different, doesn't it? And I've seen Andy Quilden on Twitter already talking about bringing these guys back or bringing other CMLL guys back because when you want to stand out for, from the crowd in Brit Res, if you can put on a, a match like this that, again, as people talk and when they walk away, then, yeah, it's absolutely worth doing. And, yeah, I think they, but they both got a, a standing ovation after the match and it, it was well-deserved and, and was a huge difference to the almost silence the, uh, the match started in. And, uh, I mean, the result was indifferent, wasn't it? T-Town picked up the win against Soberano. But, uh, yeah, certainly interesting going forward with Red Pro. I mean, it'd be great if they could uh, strike up a really good working relationship with CMLL and bring, a, and bring even more guys in, wouldn't it? Definitely, yeah. I think there's, there's room to do stuff there. And, it's again, it's something, something different that other British companies aren't doing. You see a lot of the same guys in a lot of places. And if Rev Pro have got the, the hands tied from not being able to use WWE guys, being able to use their New Japan connection and their CMLL connection could uh, definitely uh, be a, a big positive to their shows going forward. 
And another match that was uh, really interesting was uh, El Fantasmo against David Starr for the uh, Red Pro British Cruiserweight Championship. And uh, David Starr obviously wrestles all over Europe, but um, he's really carving out a nice little storyline for himself here in Red Pro, you know, saying that Andy Quilden's always putting him down and, you know, he had to bring his own referee in shapers because he didn't trust Chris Roberts. And uh, I thought these two had a really good match just before the main event, Benno. Yeah, this was, to be honest, one of the matches that really stuck out in my head when you talk about match of the night. I It's my kind of match, really. Like you say, they've done such a good job with David Starr and his, his character work is there as a heel in Rev Pro, and they've done a great job of building him as, as champion who doesn't want to defend his belter. And they've really built El Fantasmo as this, this babyface coming in. And yeah, to be honest, I thought it was just a, maybe not, Maybe not from a work rate point of view, am I giving it, you know, all the stars in the world? But as far as like a well worked babyface heel match, I just thought it was great. I think David Starr was just bumping everywhere for Phantasmo, trying to get the story over. It was almost like it felt like a, the majority of the offense in the in the match was El Phantasmo, and David Starr was just doing a lot of selling and picking and choosing his moments, almost countering moves in, in desperation when he managed to hit his stuff. So they, they really went out there to, to get the story over. And like I say, I think Star went out there, especially with his working boots to get El Fantasmo over. Um, and yeah, I think they put, put together a really good match. I know some people weren't high on the finish. They've been doing a big story, haven't they, with, with David Starr and, and Shea Pearce, um yeah. very much being in his pocket. And there was a lot of shenanigans, you know, low blows and a, a bumper Shea Pearce and, and lots of stuff stuff there that maybe protects El Fantasmo um, in loss. But I think it all it plays into the, the story. I wouldn't. I think a lot of people would expect an El Fantasmo to walk out with the with the belt here and to, to walk away. But I, I kind of I'm happy to see David Starr go over here and to see him carry on this run because. Uh, yeah, I think when you've got the you've got the big New Japan guys on top and the big British title matches on top, I like this undercard story of David Starr as as champion that, that feels like it's it's never going to end at this point. So hopefully they can line up some more challenges like like El Fantasmo and uh, and yeah carry on this run with David Starr because again they're doing something really David Starr's a wrestler you see everywhere else, but Rev Pro are doing something really different with him with this this heel run and he's he's really leaning into it well and and doing great work like this. Yeah, he's certainly great on the mic when he's coming out and having a go at Andy Quilden and, <laughs> you know, sort of right, trying to rile the crowd up. Everyone's cheering for him anyway, but, um, cause he's doing <laughs> such a great job. But, um, That's the problem. yeah, it's like you say, we can have all the dream matches, um, main event in the card, but this is really keeping, uh, the rest of the shows ticking over with this, uh, great storyline they've got going on. Definitely, yeah. And I, I think you need that that variety. We've just raved about three, you know, big matches that, that we got. And this is kind of the story, the ongoing story in RevPro. I did. I kind of laughed that this was the match that got the video uh, tape, got the VT. <laughs> with It was a, one of the, I mean, that's RevPro's production. I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but, you know, we're about to get into a story in a minute about, about them potentially, you know, being seen on TV. And uh, watching this back on, on VOD, the video tape that they, they ran was just such bad quality. The footage looked bad. The sound was bad. They were trying to put over this story, but it wasn't great. I mean, that's, if you're going to run a story-based thing with, with David Starr and you're going to try and run these these VTs for him and, and try and get the character over, I think that element of RevPro really does need to to improve to to catch up with the, the great work that David Starr's doing. But I suppose maybe a, a minor critique there as far as big shows like this go, but maybe a, a bigger critique uh, coming down the line. 
Um, and opening the show, for anybody who's been keeping up with uh, Red Pro's cockpit shows and any other other shows, uh, we had Josh Bodum against Dan McGee, which is a few they built up quite a lot with a uh, sort of like bottom bossing McGee and McGee being sort of like the, you know, the young upstart coming out here. And how did you feel this opening match went? Because I, I was quite looking forward to it being catching up with the, uh, the cockpit shows that they've been running. And, uh, but I felt, I, I felt a bit wanting after watching this one. Obviously, Bottom picked up the win, so you know, this feud might continue. But, um, mm. yeah, it was, yeah, that, I was expecting a really hot start, and, um, it was only okay. I always hear about Rev Pro. I mean, I don't get down to the cockpit shows, but I always hear that this is a story for the cockpit fans or for the fans following the you new, know, the live shows. Um, and sometimes it felt like in your call, people just didn't know the story. Um, they were reacting to Bodum and they were reacting to McGee as the underdog, but it, I think it really would have been, this is, I mean, I just talked about videotapes. This would have been the match to do a, to do a, a promo video and, and pour over that mm. story. Um, because I mean, yeah, it's the oldest story in wrestling, Bodum treating McGee like a, a young boy. And as soon as the match started, you kind of got what they were going for. But yeah, it did feel like it was missing something. I definitely agree with you there. Maybe it was the fact there were a couple of, of blown spots in there. There was that awkward spot with a, like the slowest Canadian destroyer I think I've ever seen <laughs> and then the ref couldn't count because they'd wound up in the ropes anyway and then there was that apron spot wasn't there where I think they were going for a, a tombstone reverse oh, and yeah. they, they both kind of fell over so they just repeated the, the spot on the floor and Bodum did that reverse oh, sorry they did that reverse pedigree spot and it was just kind of like at that point once the spot's gone wrong just leave it lads just go off and do something else don't mm. just repeat the tombstone reversal but on the floor I think those kind of botches uh Haiti. um and i think this was it was a big match for dan mcgee uh being i think this was his first york hall show wasn't it um yeah. not the best showing but the story's there and it's again it's another good underdog underdog undercard story that that red pro are take are telling i like bodum giving him maybe that condescending slap of acknowledgement slash respect at the end uh i think they've got better in them hopefully they get to get another chance to do a big match like this on on your on a York Hall card or on a, another big Rev Pro card because yeah it was a little bit disappointing considering all the build and all the the people I've heard raving about this feud uh, coming into it. So we've gone through sort of like the main highlights of the show and uh, and then we had a, another few matches on here. We had Jern Simmons against Lance Archer, Kushida taking on Adam Brooks. And um, and the great O'Khan taking on Shane Strickland. Shane Strickland, someone who's not uh, appeared for Red Pro in a while. He used to be quite a regular last year. And um, these were, I mean, there's a few people making their debuts here, such as uh, Jern Simmons and obviously um, Killer Elite Squad's uh, Lance Archer. But um, nothing, I mean, was there anything that really stuck out for you from any of these matches? I mean, I thought it was a waste of Kushida. I mean... Um, mm. I'm sorry, but Adam Brooks has come over and um, we were promised sort of like this bag of goods, weren't we? And I don't think he's delivered on it other than the matches he's had with Will Ospreay. I, I mean, I think I'm, I'm probably the high one on this podcast on, on on Adam Brooks. I don't hate him. I think he's, I think you're right. I think he's come in with this reputation of, of big match wrestler and Rev Pro haven't helped it either by putting him in matches like this. Whereas when he first came in and they started doing that feud with Ospreay where he was ripping the flags off his tights, that was if he, if they'd have given him a more long term maybe it's a fact that they can't always get Osprey but I think if he had something to sink his teeth into like that with a bit like what David Starr's doing you know more story based matches rather than being thrown in matches like this where he's expected to have a four to five star match I think that maybe would suit what he is mm. um, more than than what he's doing um, I didn't hate the match I thought it was fine but I'd say that yeah about all three of those matches and 
again, three matches where the New Japan talent went over, and I don't think did we really need Great O'Connor to go over Shane Strickland? And, <laughs> did Jan Simmons really need to lose to Lance Archer? Jan Simmons, to me, feels more likely to be someone who's going to come back in the future. Yeah, and who is who really is Lance Archer in New Japan? You know, he's he's kind of he's he's a mid card tag team wrestler. Heavy. I don't think, yeah, he's a heavy. Yeah, I don't think he needed to go over either. These were the matches where I thought. Oh, I, I think Adam Brooks is due to, to go back home soon, but I would have liked to, to see him um, maybe get a win here. Although, yeah, it is Kushida, and they do New Japan do protect him, although they don't seem to do a huge amount with him. Um, yeah, three three matches that I think these were the the low points of the card, and these were just they were very much you know opening card stuff, uh, nothing hugely memorable, um, and yeah, really overall maybe slightly disappointing from from a booking point of view. Um, but I suppose all the matches can't be bangers and yeah when you've got i love shane strickland but when he's in there with great o'connor there's only so much <laughs> you can do i was expecting campy stuff in that match and they did a lot of campy stuff but it kind of they went to near falls and strickland kind of treated it like a a typical big match that he that he that he'd usually have uh but i'd rather see him if he when rev pro get him on rare occasion i'd rather see him in there with other people and the this uh this great O'Khan project that uh new japan and rev pro are trying to get over well, it's a pretty decent show from Red Pro. Certainly not the best I've seen at York Hall, but uh, certainly not the worst either. And uh, there's plenty of news coming out of uh, Red Pro. I mean, they're making tons and tons of announcements lately. They've got a two-day TV taping lined up for the 5th and 6th of September at York Hall. I mean, they released an advert for tickets saying that they were getting some TV production trucks in and hosting two nights of back-to-back TV tapings. And this was very short notice because it was only announced the other week. They've not said quite what the TV outlet is going to be for this yet. But I, I would have thought promoter Andy Quilden won't be settling for some channel lost on Sky, like Channel 750 or something like that. And this will be <laughs> something uh, pretty decent here, Benno. I hope not, because, yeah, you're the same as me. I mean, if, once you follow BritRes or Indie Wrestling for an amount of time, the words, we've got a TV deal, do lose some impact, don't they? The amount of shindy promotions who've had a deal on Sky Channel 754 that you know, <laughs> never goes anywhere. But you're right, Andy Quilden's someone who, if you listen to his podcast, he's always said, you know, he's not going to go for just a, a silly a, a TV deal that doesn't pay or doesn't work out for Rev Pro. So hopefully it's a good offer and it's something better than that. Um, they've been a bit secretive, haven't they, about where it's going to land and, and what the the deal is. I've heard people speculate that it could be something on Fight Online or even New Japan World, but I don't really see that. I think they, they've built it up so much that it's mm. got to be actual TV. Um, but I don't I don't see where they fit. Um, maybe he's just seeing the challenge of the fact that he's been one of the few promoters who's been very critical of ITV World of Sports, and he's just he, he wants to show how it really should be done, drafting in Kevin Kelly and putting the the Rev Pro spin on things. Um, yeah, it, it must be a good offer, but nothing really springs to mind as, as to where it might land. And yeah, as I said earlier, I think uh, Rev Pro have got a great product as far as matches go, and they're, they're telling a lot of good stories, at least on the undercard at the moment. But they weren't a product that I would have said, oh yeah, I could see that on TV. It's great that they get the VOD out within 24 hours at times, but their, like I said earlier, their video quality and audio quality is among the worst in British wrestling. Um, so they're really, yeah, if they get the, hopefully they are getting the, the TV trucks in and somebody's going to take over the production. Maybe the five star people can take over, eh? Maybe it'll be the, uh, <laughs> the old free sports lot that can take over and do that side of things. But yeah, it's, it's exciting anyway. It'd be interesting. And I think, uh, there's the potential there for it to be something good. It just, it really all depends on, on, you know, what the offer is and 
and where it's going to be. Can't see it being prime time Saturday night, but uh, yeah, if if they've taken it, hopefully it's a it's been a good offer and something that's uh, clearly uh, worth a while for RevPro. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously Sky and a lot of other companies outsource a lot of these uh, these filming events to uh, you know outside production units. So you would have thought um, if they're saying the TV trucks coming in, they're going to bring one of those in, and it'll be interesting to see. Like you've noted there, obviously. Red Pro, it's great that they get the stuff out so quick, but their sound and pitch quality is always pretty atrocious. So it'll be very interesting to see Red Pro with some slick production values behind it. Perhaps uh, your call look as good as it does for those <laughs> boxing events on Sky. But uh, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see on that one. But I mean, following on from these TV tapings, um, they've got a show in Portsmouth on the 7th of September and then on the... 8th and 9th sees the return of the British J Cup as part of the Wrestling Media Con event in Manchester. I mean, before we get into this uh, Media Con, let's talk about uh, the second Red Pro British J Cup. I mean, last year's event was uh, one of my favourite shows of 2017, and this year they've expanded it to two nights. So, I mean, the lineup's stacked. I mean, we've got last year's winner, Jushin Thunderlijer, returning, and then... He's joined by Rocky Romero, Show and Yo, Chris Ridgeway, Taguchi, Rich Swan, Kushida, El Fantasmo, Flamita, Tiger Mask, Bandido, Kyle Fletcher, Dean Allmark, and Curtis Chapman. I mean, that's a, a hell of a lineup for uh, the second Jacob there, Benno. Yeah, it really is. I mean, they did that typical trolling Red Pro thing, and they, I think they announced the likes of Curtis Chapman first. Mm. And so, some of my friends who are big New Japan fans were going, "Oh, come on! Like, surely it's going to be the, the announcements are going to get better." I like Curtis Chapman, not against him, but yeah, once they started rolling out the fact that you know you got Liger there, the fact that Flamita's there, that's that's something really exciting. Rich Swan's always going to split opinion, but I think this will be a, a big tournament for him. Um, and then the regulars, you know, the likes of David Starr being in there and Kashida coming back for it. It's a really, really exciting lineup. And yeah, I made up that it's happening a bit nearer to me than the last J-Cup and uh, it being in Manchester, well, kind of Manchester this time, <laughs> just outside of Manchester. And we, we won't be melting like we did last year at the J-Cup, Martin, and then yeah. that sweltering in Waltham Stowe building. So there's positives there as well. But yeah, there's a, a huge list of great talent there. Um, and I think it, it has the, Red Pro is stretching themselves a bit. The fact that they've got so many shows in this in this short period and the, it's like a the week might... worth of shows, isn't it? Oh, it's insane! Yeah, and, and it you know there might have been a danger of you know this this random tournament up north getting lost in, in 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 the shuffle of it. But like you said, that list of announcements and that list of dudes, there's so much potential there for great matches. And I think yeah, there's a lot of things going on at this media con, but I think this is going to be the thing that a lot of people are going to be talking about coming out. I mean, and like they did last year with the J-Cup, outside of the tournament, they had uh, Matt Riddle against Tomohiro Ishii, which was a fantastic match. And uh, this year, they've added a non-tournament match of Ring Camp, Tim Thatcher and Walter against CCK, Chris Brooks and Jonathan Gresham. I mean, that's a, that's a hell of a match to add to a already fantastic lineup. Definitely, yeah. They could have just left it at the, the Jacob stuff, but yeah, they're, they're paying to have Walter in, so yeah, that's great stuff, and I think it's going to be a really exciting uh, card. Uh, I think all in all, Rev Pro have got. I think they they seem to be pushing in getting a bit more of a a fan base up north, and they've seen the success of SSC UK, um, and it's great, yeah, that the the capitalising on that, um, and I think they'll definitely. If there's anybody at MediaCon who doesn't normally follow Rev Pro, uh, I think that lineup's really gonna gonna make some new fans. Well, as noted there, this is going to be part of the Wrestling Media Con. This is a first-time event held over two days. It, it seems very similar to the WrestleCon event held over WrestleMania weekend. It's going to be a 
combination of wrestling shows from, uh, as we know, their Red Pro Impact have also got a show there, Defiant uh, running shows, and then GW, and then there seems to be a lot of live podcast recordings and uh, wrestlers doing signings, and uh, they've also announced a, a Hall of Fame, and the inductees for this first one are going to be Dave Meltzer, Colt Cabana, former Power Slam editor Finley Martin, and and Martin Goldsmith, which was, uh, I imagine, I wasn't the only one who was unfamiliar with Martin Goldsmith. It, it seems uh, his backstory is that he helped convince WWF to expand into the UK in the late 80s. And he, he also uh, played a large part in bringing SummerSlam 92 to Wembley Stadium. So yeah, Martin Goldsmith certainly uh, deserves a place in, in any sort of a British Hall of Fame if he was uh, responsible for helping with a lot of that. So what are your thoughts on uh, on this uh, MediaCon as a whole Benno and uh, and this Hall of Fame that they're running. Yeah, I think all in all, it's it's an exciting couple of days of stuff. It's a it's not the. I mean, you've got to spend a lot to to see mm. everything. Uh, you got to pay weekend tickets, like any other con, isn't it? You've got to pay for the weekend ticket, and then I think I think the Rev Pro J Cup's the exception. You can just turn up for for, the, for that show and and go home if you like. Um, but I think they've they've done a really good job of putting things together. You mentioned there. I mean, I'd I'd never heard that name before. The, the the Hall of Fame. I think it's the but that's the the perfect idea for this Hall of Fame, isn't it? To to put in people that maybe we don't know about Brit Res history. We don't know who was you know important in bringing you know SummerSlam over to the UK. We don't know that the full story there. That's going to be a a really really interesting story to be told. And I think it's smart to to have Dave Meltzer in there as well. Um, if you hear the the stories of him live at PWG shows or anywhere else he turns up it's almost like the the fans are more interested in seeing him sometimes <laughs> than the wrestlers and i think he'll have a, a long queue for for his uh for his q a and for his uh, meet and greet so it's a stroke of genius to do that i think they put together something really interesting there's plenty of wrestlers there to, to that you can go and meet there's lots of like i say you said the live podcast stuff there i mean excited to see cabana do his live podcast mm. to see uh they've got a x-packs doom on there as well isn't he that sounds, it sounds oh, yeah, with Pat Patterson well. of all people exactly yeah the fact that pat patterson's coming over that's a big deal as well um it'd be interesting to see what it draws but they mm. are attempting like you say pat patterson's there x-packs there but then we've got a rev pro live show and the the first impact shows in the uk in a long time so i think they're trying to draw from a broad spectrum of of wrestling fans and hopefully it's a, a success because it does sound like an exciting weekend I'm mainly excited, yeah, to see the Rev Pro show, to see the Impact show, which I never would have said six months ago. Uh, They've done a great job in that promotion of making me a bit more interested. The fact that I'm excited to go see Sammy Callahan says it all. Um, a bit of a shame that that impact show is running head to head with uh, with Dave Meltzer's uh, Q and A with his Inside the Ropes uh, deal, but I'm sure I'll make it work. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a, an exciting but but busy and potentially uh, expensive weekend. But yeah, hopefully it's a success and we we do this again next year. Yeah, because when they first announced it, I was a bit like, oh, this looks a bit naff. But uh, with all the announcements they've made subsequently, and like you said, uh, with the impact show, obviously they're uh, they're. Uh, you know, a lot better than they were this time last year. And then uh, Rev, uh, Rev Pro putting on this uh, second British J Cup. It's certainly a very exciting event, and I'm really looking forward to uh, attending the two days this year. Definitely, me too. Can't wait. Um, it's going like to be expensive, but it's going to be great. Just, yeah, anybody coming from out of town, the say in Manchester, it's not Manchester. Plan ahead. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I think it, it takes about an hour to get there from the centre of Manchester. So, yeah. Uh, Put that into your plans, but other than that, yeah, hopefully we'll both uh, see some of our listeners there as well and uh, people make the trip. 
And uh, moving on to uh, World of Sport, I mean, since our last show, uh, episodes three and four of World of Sport have aired on ITV, and uh, I mean, obviously it's still marred with the same uh, production issues we've noted ad nauseum on this show <laughs> before, uh, but some of the notable happenings were the uh, continuation of the tag tournament, uh, Crater completely dominating the ladder match winner Gabriel Kidd, Grado changing his image to impress Stu Bennett, and... Uh, Martin Kirby stealing both episodes with pretty good matches against Joe Hendry and Will Ospreay. I mean, uh, I've gone through some of the uh, sort of like notable happenings there, Benno. Any any thoughts on uh, the last two episodes of World of Sport? Yeah, it kind of it's hard, isn't it? Because I, when in preparing for this podcast, I was kind of thinking, of what even happened in episode three? Mm. <laughs> so much I could remember episode four, but so much happens in, in these in yeah. these shows that it, and so much is coming at you a million miles an hour. And yeah, we won't go over the the camera cuts and all that stuff again. But it is hard to take in sometimes and hard to digest. But yeah, you're right. I think Kirby stood out. I think his match with Osprey again. It, while we got critique of the way things are laid out on these shows, and it, it is a bit match heavy for me, there's not enough character development at all. But Will Ospreay kind of fits. It's kind of we're getting to see yeah. him on TV, and that attention deficit style of editing kind of fits his character and the way his his matches are structured. Sometimes uh, I wonder what the dads make of him. You know, the people sitting down on a Saturday <laughs> night to to watch this guy do do acrobatics, whether they think it's uh, it's anything to write home about. But he's just yeah, getting to see him on TV uh, and do all of his big spots, and to get to see Martin Kirby get to you know do the great work we've all seen him do live at shows and get to be the the heel um especially against osprey in that match then yeah uh, it's a good thing isn't it that we get to see that and yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna be a show where there isn't a huge amount of character development to pull in the casuals then osprey versus kirby is probably the best example of, of the good stuff that you're gonna get and the the type of stuff that that might stand out um i did notice uh gareth hodgson who's a friend of the show did some google trend analysis to see whether uh people have been searching for will osprey I haven't seen him on itv world of sport but the there wasn't much evidence to say that had been happening but people were searching for giant haystack still uh, so <laughs> maybe it's bringing back some memories in the uh in the dads and the audience um watching this wrestling um but yeah it's it's hard isn't it to kind of of analyze on a on a week to week basis because it, it's just so mile a minute there's so much happening i think that that b priestley kaylee ray match from this week's a, a good example of you know maybe where it, why they're struggling a little bit in the ratings the fact that you know alex shane's on commentary trying in the five seconds that b priestley makes her entrance to explain who she is what a story is mm. um because we've never had that that opportunity to to sit down with her and hear her her version of, of her career or to get to know her character uh, that much older. She's got a really interesting story when you go back through, you know, she obviously had all that uh, trauma, you know, as a, as a child and everything, you know, with the brain injuries and stuff, and then she come back from that and, you know, become a wrestler. That, that'd be a great story to, uh, to tell on a, uh, on sort of like a Saturday night ITV show. It would, it would. There's a real life story. Most of these wrestlers have got really interesting real life stories. I've mentioned on previous shows. Davies Boy Smith Jr. came out on this show and he's just a, you know, he's Bulldog's son but it's got to be a story there where he can tell you about memories of of, of his dad and you know stuff that they did a little bit on on the pilot episode last year because yeah i think that again yeah be priestly someone who you could do that with and yeah without that you're left with the commentary trying to, to stuff that stuff in as they did in that be priestly kaylee ray match and you know talking that much the other thing that they kind of they're doing a lot of the wwe tropes aren't they there was a 
WWE special with the entrance music hit, so everyone in the ring stops and watches <laughs> the entrance way, and then some woman, possibly named Aisha, I think that was a name. Is that a name? She came yep, out. It was, yeah. Who is she? Why is she? I don't think we'll ever know. All we know is that they're going towards a. Apparently, there's going to be a women's battle royal. Uh, but it all happens in such quick succession that yeah, even even for us who are familiar with these wrestlers, it's hard to take in who everyone is. Um, you mentioned Grado there on episode three and doing the the stuff where he comes out in a suit. I mean, that was funny. His backstage promos with with, with Stu Bennett are entertaining. Um, he's someone I could see casuals enjoying. Hmm. Um, but again, you don't want to step over that line and have too much of him on the show um, and have too much of the the Grado com- comedy in there. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think he was something of the highlight of the two weeks. Um, I did think as well that I think Joe Hendry is someone who they could definitely be doing more with on the on the second week he was in that main event, wasn't he, with Justin Sizem? And, yeah. Um, I think it was supposed to be Adam Maxted and he got replaced by Nathan Cruz. They've, they've got a bromance, don't you know, Martin? That's the, that's the story. Um, yeah, <laughs> Joe Hendry's kind of... I feel like there's more you can do with that entrance song character. It's almost like he's coming out and is he supposed to be miming? Is that the story? Because half the time he hasn't even got the microphone yeah. in his mouth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just all a bit weird, isn't it? I feel like you could definitely do more with him. There's the... The individual matches themselves, that three-way I just mentioned, was a, a solid match. It's just, again, hard to take in when there's so much happening. They're trying to get so many people over. Justin Sizem looks good with his discus clothesline win in that match. But before you know it, you know the show's end. We've gone back to adverts again because they've crammed so much in. So even the good moments that I men- mentioned in there, they just don't always stick. And that's kind of been the problem over this uh, this episode three and four, and it doesn't look like uh, there's going to be a, a, a huge change as the as the series goes on. Well, um, I mean, obviously we've noted uh, when we were talking about episodes one and two that um, obviously they've got um, a really good lineup of wrestlers. It's just the presentation of them is uh, is somewhat lacking, isn't it? And like you said, they they try cramming too much in. I mean, um, who talks about the ratings and they seem to uh, slump from episode one to two? Has there any, been any much change in the ratings for three and Chris- four? Pretty much the same, really. I think they did 545, uh, 100, 545k for episode four. It was kind of in line with the previous two weeks. It was 584 and 539 in the, in the previous two weeks. It was a slight bump from last week, but not a huge, huge difference, mm. really. It's kind of interesting following this stuff along. People who know a little bit more about than me on that digital spy forum where they seem to keep an eye on the, the ratings for Saturday Night Primetime UK. KTV. I saw people saying this is a bit of an area, a bit of a time of the year where ITV in general are having some rough Saturdays. Um, it's not really a priority as we get, you know, out of the summer holidays and the, the Christmas season's coming soon. Hate to say it, but that is happening. Um, <laughs> that's when ITV maybe put a little bit more effort in. Um, but it's got to stand out in the schedule. It's got, you look at the numbers they're doing half a million compared to you know they did more than a million for the pilot last year it's got to stand out to someone who's scheduling these shows as maybe something that either yeah maybe we don't want a season two or maybe and it could be for the best something to move to another itv channel whether that be itv2 or itv4 which it, it might be a hard fit for and then you've got the question of is it worth putting all the money in to just throw it on on a lesser channel but part of me kind of thinks without the well, the pressure of, of Saturday night primetime TV, I almost think like the show would be better because right now they're not pleasing wrestling fans because it's a, it's a hard to watch wrestling product, uh, and not really pleasing casuals because they're not putting the effort in with the characters and they're just 
putting too much, too many matches and there's too much of an assumption that you know what's going on. You yeah. understand the rules of wrestling. You understand who the wrestlers are. They haven't gone far enough to convince the casuals either. So I almost feel like they'd be better off on a slightly lesser channel uh, where they can just maybe just do a, a good wrestling product. Because as you mentioned, all the, the wrestlers are doing good stuff and the, all the tools are there to, to do that. Um, maybe that'd be better than trying to go for this broad Saturday night audience that are clearly uh, not taken and clearly not tuning in week to week. Yeah, it'll be certainly interesting because I mean, ITV have, have uh, I've noted on this show before. It seems to have a track record of getting bored of shows easily. I mean, there seems to be a new thing come out on a Saturday, lasts for a one series, and then they get rid of it. So, um, yeah, it'll be certainly interesting to see what happens uh, as well as what goes on. And uh, moving on now to some uh, to some sad news. Uh, last week saw the news that British wrestler Ian Dean, who wrestled as Doc Dean, passed away at, at the age of forty eight, and. Uh, Obviously, this hit um, a lot of the British wrestlers hard. We had people like um, his former tag team partner, Robbie Brookside, and people like William Regal and a variety of uh, British wrestlers from past and present sort of paying tribute to Doc Dean on 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 Twitter. And uh, I caught up with a wrestling historian and author, John Lister, John Lister rather, who listeners uh, will recognize from his wrestling books and his work from Power Slam magazine and Fighting Spirit magazine. And uh, one of the uh, last people to interview doc dean about his wrestling career and uh yeah it was a uh, great to catch up with Do- uh, with john rather to talk about the life career and legacy of ian doc dean joining me on the show now is wrestling author and historian john lister to discuss the life and career of ian dean who wrestled as doc dean i mean john you were one of the uh, last few people to interview doc about his wrestling career weren't you yeah, I spoke to him uh, a year or two back uh, for the Greetings Grapple Fan series, and I, I kind of got the impression speaking to him for sort of the first 10 or 15 minutes of a call, he was quite low-key, which was quite uncharacteristic. Um, and I think it was really that he had sort of left kind of the wrestling part of his career behind and not really sort of thought about it for a long time. And there was a, a point when I asked him about when he turned heel against uh, Robbie Brookside and started sort of feuding with him around the country and working as a heel for the first time. And it was like he, you know, he was started buzzing at that. And suddenly it was like the memories came came flooding back. And so by the end of a call, he was, you know, really kind of um, excited, kind of thinking back sort of the memories of, of, of that time in wrestling. Yeah, because he started uh, wrestling at a really weird time, didn't he? Sort of in the early 80s, um, at the age of 14. And it was kind of on when uh, British wrestling was waning in popularity, wasn't it? Yeah, so he started off um, sort of very young on a couple of small independent sort of circuits and then did the holiday camps for a while and then started working for All Star Promotions. And he made a TV appearance in 1988, which was right when it was going off television. Um, and from there, he was sort of one of the, became one of the sort of the, the main guys kind of keeping the scene alive. And after the TV went off, you kind of had joint promotions very quickly really because they'd lost sort of the tv exposure kind of switched to let's just put everything behind big daddy and sort of their show was they'll come to to a town once or twice a year with big daddy on top and kind of drawing that way as all-star promotions in some ways benefited for sort of a 
couple of years after the TV went off from sort of a more dedicated TV viewer who suddenly couldn't see wrestling on TV anymore and had to to go out and uh, sort of see it at their local venue. So they they had a sort of two or three years where they were still doing quite good business um, in sort of the big traditional wrestling towns that were still running regularly, like uh, Liverpool, Croydon, uh, Stoke in Hanley, uh, Norwich, Bristol, still kept that going for a few years. Um, the business sort of started to die away with uh, the lack of sort of TV exposure and people not recognising the stars. And particularly Mark Rocco retiring in 91 kind of took a, a lot of the steam out of All Star. So um, Doc Dean and his partner, Robbie Brookside and the Liverpool lads were probably among the, the, the top sort of young guys who were still kind of saying, we can, you know, we can keep this business going. We can kind of, you know, bring in new fans. And there was a big um, sort of tag team scene was where the big thing with All Star events. You had the Superflies, uh, you had... Um, Kid McCoy and his father King Ben. He had a team called Task Force One, and then the Liverpool lads. Um, later, you know, so sort of less prestigiously, you had the uh, the, mighty, the mighty wrestling Power Rangers, <laughs> who uh, Doctor D may have been on uh, more than one occasion. But they were, you know, sort of trading the tag teams around, often uh, among the sort of the main attractions, and really kind of hungry young guys who sort of still kind of saw their job more as, you know, not just picking up her paycheck, not just doing sort of the bare minimum to kind of get by and, and sort of attract the crowd, but really trying to keep keep wrestling alive and, and sort of have, you know, the, the good quality matches and the action to draw people in. So people's view of uh, modern day wrestling is a promotion such as Progress running uh, sort of like these nightclubs and then also running bigger venues to like uh, a few thousand people. What sort of uh, venues are we talking early 90s to mid 90s that uh, the Liverpool lads and Doc Dean were running? Well, as it dropped away, I mean, there were places that were still running every month, uh, say like uh, the Fairfield Halls at Croydon, uh, the sort of Corn Exchange in Norwich, Victoria Hall in Hanley in Stoke, uh, Dr. Dean's own sort of home venue for St. George's Hall in Liverpool, um, and then a lot of uh, sort of smaller sort of town halls, that kind of places. And this was before sort of a few years later where sort of all start kind of changed their, their business once sort of the, the halls were dying out, it was later going into theatres a lot. Um, and the beauty of working with, with theatres is a lot of them are in a chain. Um, so sort of if you get in with one, they'll recommend you to others. And also they, unlike sort of halls, uh, will do their own advertising. So I have the poster out there with, you know, Snow White, the panto is here this week. You know, mm-hmm. doing the musical next week, the wrestling's the next week. And that took care of a lot of it. Um, whereas with uh, the sort of the, the early 90s and mid 90s, it was still very much... Uh, sort of local posters um, trying to get people to come back and that's where I say having the the good matches and also you know the storylines and the feuds uh, were a big thing of of bringing these people in I know the first all-star show I saw was in 1995 I'd been to I think three British wrestling shows in my hometown Steamage before then and they were all very much you know the one and done the turn up with uh, you know the TV names of a, a daddy or a haystacks have a battle royal at the end everyone goes home happy and you know we might come back in a couple of years uh, Croydon was still running monthly so I went to this this show and it was it was yeah, it's weird to think of it now, but I, I was sort of astounded to see this is, you know, British wrestling and it's like the American stuff because they have run-ins at the end of the matches, <laughs> um, you know, and, and they're setting up a match for, for next month. And 
the main event of that show was Doc Dean and Rob Brookside, who just split up and they're having a, a ladder match. Um, so you had, you know, you had blood in the match. You had sort of boiling at ringside. You had the, the ladder spots. And it was like so different from the, the kind of the, the British wrestling I'd, I'd seen. Croydon then was very much, you know, somewhere that would would sort of build from month to month like the old sort of territory days. We mentioned that ladder match in uh, 1995 there. And uh, what were some of the other highlights of uh, Doc Dean's career in, in the 90s? Um, I'd say the feud uh, with with Rob Brookside was certainly a, a big thing with him. Also, in the early 90s, he held the British welterweight title. Um, and when I asked him about that, he was sort of saying it was still, um, even though it was off TV, it still felt very prestigious and it was... Uh, kind of a you know a sign for management that he'd made it and could be you know trusted and kind of credible to be put in that position um i think the thing with the brookside feud is that it was so kind of multi-dimensional because the there wasn't so much communication between sort of fans in that era as to what was going on at different shows so you had this thing where croydon rob brookside was the, the villain and uh doc dean was the uh, for Babyface and I think that was just because that particular venue Rob Brookside had been sort of there so long as kind of a good guy but they couldn't take it the other way all the other regular venues um, Doc Dean was actually the villain so they're switching up but also at this time when they went to kind of smaller venues for a, a one-off show uh, they were sort of still tag team and having like amazing matches with uh, the Superfly so we saw one a couple of months after Croydon, we went to Hartford in uh, Hertfordshire and sort of small venue with uh, the Superflies and Liverpool lads had best of three falls match in the, the main event. And I think I remember writing in sort of Wrestling Observer and saying, you know, this match was four and a half stars. It was actually <laughs> amazing. I don't know if it would hold up now, but it was certainly it was having kind of you know, the moves you'd see in, in Japan and the States, you know, rockers moves midnight express kind of moves and it was so different to kind of the, the stereotype i think a lot of people had of, of of what british wrestling had become well you mentioned uh, japan there and both him and robbie were in the new japan best of super juniors in 1997 i mean these guys were the first british participants since tony st Clair appeared in the first ever super juniors in 88 and uh, how did uh, they both end up going here and uh, what was a uh, doc showing like in the tournament yeah, so he was um, he he did quite well because what actually happened was almost certainly because of you know the numbers game of you've got to make everybody get to the right results at the end. So if you 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 do people have to sort of lose and you have the upsets, but he actually pinned Jushin Liger, which I remember was quite a, a, a news-making moment at the time and yeah. you know, something he was quite pleased about. And when I interviewed about him, he was sort of saying about. You know, he he knew it for what it was, but it was still, you know, a, a sort of a great moment in your career. Um, and I think a, a lot of the other wrestlers used to kind of half rhythm about it. Um, and he was just kind of thinking, well, they they I think they've touched a nerve. There's a little bit of jealousy here because even though, you know, they they know it's had to be done to make the points work out, it's still you know something not a lot of guys could say at that time because you know, like was very much still at his peak, kind of a, a perennial champion at the time. So it was still. Uh, you know, it's something really great to, to put on your, if you had a wrestling CV. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, um, after this, uh, Doc and Robbie ended up moving to Orlando, didn't they? And they got a, a job with WCW. I mean, um, obviously, I'm assuming you spoke to him about his experiences for WCW and moving to America for the first time. Yeah, and no, I think it was um, kind of a, a mixed bag because he, he enjoyed, you know, having the regular work there. Um, and he, as uh, 
he, he did some sort of matches on Nitro and Thunder, but also worked a lot of uh, TV tapings. And this is back in the day when WCW had, you know, many hours of TV at weekends and literally hundreds of guys under contracts. Um, to, and they had sort of all these hours of TV to fill up the weekends. So he'd work a lot of those shows and you'd be working with sort of different people from different styles every day, you know, be, uh, you know, sort of American wrestlers, they'd bring in the Japanese guys who are doing sort of a strong style. You'd have the Lucha guys coming in. And I think he was quite proud of the fact that he had the ability to work with people from sort of any kind of style and still sort of put together a good match without, uh, you know, having the, the trouble adjusting to it. But also I think he was kind of in the back of the mind. He sort of knew he was being used in sort of this, this weekend match, uh, role and a sort of a filler thing and also sort of a, a, a jobber enhancement kind of role on the TV. So he kind of never got ideas about his station. I think he, he kind of knew what his level was, but was still sort of, you know, making a, a decent living there. Um, and while he was out there, he sort of met a, a new partner. Um, and eventually when sort of the wrestling died up, he considered coming back to the UK, um, and sort of making a go of it wrestling, but then sort of decided, uh, it might be time to go for a normal life, you know, where you actually, uh, are home every night, see, see your family and your, your partner and your friends, um, and don't spend, you know, your, your life driving up the highways, which was, you know, something he used to do with a sort of ridiculous schedule back in the, the UK where it'd be, you know, very common that he'd be based in Liverpool and he'd have a show in Kings Lynn or in Port, in Portsmouth or Plymouth, uh, and would have to, to drive all that way and drive back. And he was in the, uh, Robbie Brookside video diaries, which was a, a documentary series that aired in 1993. And the Robbie Brookside episode, uh, Doc Dean actually did a lot of filming for that. Um, and a, a great trivia note is that they went over to a show in Dublin and were filming some stuff uh, with William Regal, who was obviously a friend of Rob Brookside and had gone to the States. And they wanted to kind of contrast, uh, you know, Brookside was still in the UK and, and Regal was in sort of a big time in WCW. Uh, so they filmed his, his sort of match in Dublin uh, with Doc Dean was filming at ringside. Uh, and he also stuck around film for main event, which was Vader and Sting, uh, with Vader regaining the WCW title. So it's, that's, uh, where the, the footage that was sort of doing the, the underground tape trading circles comes from. Um, but there's a, a famous moment in that, that, uh, documentary where Rob Brookside, uh, isn't booked for a show, but he's told his, his wages are pinned to a dressing room door down in Norwich and has to literally get on a, get on a train, <laughs> go halfway across the country just to pick up his sort of wages for the week. And that was kind of the, the, the sort of the struggle of, you know, life on the road in the Britain that time. And, uh, another good, great scene of that is where they have, um, Liverpool lads t-shirts have been made up to sell on the, the table at the show. And they're these like really badly drawn, like very low production quality. And you sort of see Brookside kind of looking at this and just thinking this is like nothing like the, the sort of quality of the merchandise you get at WWF shows when they come over. And I always kind of look back at that. And then you look at a British show now where uh, you've got these guys who are working full time, partly because they're working every night, but partly because, you know, they're all merchandising themselves and that the, the real kind of, you know, the quality of, and the range of the, the merchandise, the shirts and the, uh, all the other gimmicks that they're sort of selling is just kind of a, I think the vision that guys like Brookside and Dean had for what the British scene could become. 
Yeah, I suppose they were like uh, slightly too late for the uh, original boom, and then slightly too early for this one as well, weren't they? Obviously, yeah, Holly that's, that's got something on. that uh, the, the Doc actually specifically mentioned because he uh, said he'd like to have you know come around ten years earlier and worked sort of more on TV with like you know like guys like Jim Brakes, like a Johnny Saint, but also. Uh, sort of young guys like Kid McCoy and uh, Danny Collins and have sort of more of a chance to work with them in front of a bigger audience. Um, but also, you know, had to come around 10, 15 years later, they much more opportunity for getting sort of a, a full time, uh, more high profile role, role in, uh, in WWE. But it's something, you know, he sort of, I think he, um, wished it had been different, but I don't think he regretted it because he he sort of was you know very adamant about even though it was there was the time to leave it behind and it was a different part of his life and he sort of doesn't live life with regrets. But wrestling was the only thing from his life that he doesn't do anymore and still absolutely misses every day and sort of you know you can't really get out of your psyche. Yeah, I suppose um, a lot of people have that, don't they, once they've uh, retired from wrestling. And um, sadly, Ian Dean passed away on the 13th of August. Uh, what would you say will be his legacy in wrestling? I think hopefully it won't be a forgotten one, and hopefully it will be that he was part of the, the keeping British wrestling alive um, in, a, in a form that would, 20 years later, develop into what the British scene is now, where it's it's once again something that people around the world are, are watching um, and sort of appreciating and aware of. Um, and w- without guys like that, it, you know, it could easily have kind of died away and the promoters might have, have sort of given up because there wouldn't have been the, the excitement and the energy and the, the thing that would draw people to come back month, month after month and, and make wrestling sort of viable as a, an ongoing business. Yeah, I suppose that's the main thing because, of, like you've noted throughout this, that you know him and Robbie were keeping sort of like the British scene uh, going with these great matches. And um, yeah, anybody who's wanting to check anything out, um, the BBC documentary John noted there, that's available on YouTube. And then there's plenty of other uh, Doc Dean matches on YouTube. And of course, his uh, New Japan works available on New Japan World. So yeah, if you're interested in checking any of his stuff out, there's plenty of stuff on YouTube. So, uh, John, thanks for joining us today, and it's been great uh, looking back at the career of Doc Dean. Thank you for having me. So, thanks to John there for taking the time to speak to us about Doc Dean. I mean, Benno, Doc's uh, sadly a bit before our time watching British wrestling. I mean, um, I saw some of his matches in WCW, and I certainly saw that uh, documentary about Robbie Brookside, But um, and I've been catching up on some of his, his other stuff this past week, but uh, just a bit before our time getting into British wrestling, wasn't he? Yeah, that's it. I mean, obviously, myself being from Liverpool, uh, I know of the Liverpool lads, and I, I know of him and the, the team and Robbie Brookside, and yeah, same thing, that that brookside documentary that i think it's on youtube isn't it yeah, um, it is, yeah. you can go and check that out because it's well worth it um you get to see a little bit of him and, and regal in the uh, and uh, brookside you know making their trips over to america yeah like like lister said it's a it's, it's a really he's somebody who it's a really interesting story he's got there the fact that he's gone over to he's someone who i remember watching wcw thunder in the mid 90s and I had no idea who he was, this dude getting squashed, squashed by Stevie mm. Ray, but it's kind of cool to look back now, now and say, yeah, we had, you know, he was someone who, who was on TV, someone from, from where I'm from, um, getting, you know, okay, yeah, they didn't make best use of him, but having those WCW Saturday night matches that I've seen a lot of people uh, looking for and checking out, it's cool that 
yeah, maybe he's someone who's before our time, but you know, his stuff has made taping in some form. Um, and he's a name that's kind of, yeah, people, people are aware of. Maybe people know the, the Frankie Sloan version of the, the Liverpool lads a little bit more, but something of a, an untold story in British wrestling. So it's, uh, it's been cool to see John Lister and, and people like him, uh, chronicle in his career. And yeah, really sad, uh, always sad when, uh, when somebody dies at such an age. And uh, moving on to the last couple of uh, segments on the show, uh, NXT UK, obviously, they held their first official tapings the other month in Cambridge, and uh, we saw a graphic on the most recent NXT takeover saying that NXT UK was coming soon, <laughs> and uh, and this weekend uh, sees their second weekend of events as part of the Insomnia Gaming event in Birmingham, I mean... They've announced that they'll be crowning uh, NXT UK Women's Champion over the two days, uh, a tournament featuring Tony Storm, Zaya Brookside, Dakota Kai, Ginny, Isla Dawn, Nina Samuel, and uh, Rhea Ripley. And uh, thoughts on this, Benno? I mean, WWE uh, um, seem to be holding out for uh, some kind of TV deal or network over here to show NXT UK. And, uh, I mean, thoughts on the women's tournament? Interesting that Charlie Morgan and Killer Kelly are missing from this one. Yeah, that's a bit strange. I mean, on the the fact that Tony Tony Storm's the first name you mentioned, and she's front and center in all the graphics. Oh, yes, I think that's yes. how, I think that tells you the direction they're going to go, doesn't it? Uh, I'm not even sure the rest of the, the names. Uh, I mean, I think there's a, there's an off chance that they could go with with Ginny maybe, and but I kind of see this just being a, a retread of. I mean, Tony Storm quite clearly was the star um, on the last lot of NXT UK tapings that, that we saw that were on the network. Um, I, I don't think there's another real direction to go other than, I mean, she's someone who really, she's above this level. She should be on NXT proper mm. or really she should be on Raw every week. Um, she's that good. So I think, yeah, it's going to be a very much a vehicle for, for Tony Storm. But yeah, interesting. And I think the fact that, you know, Zia Brookside's in there, she's someone who, they don't usually take a chance with, you know, younger wrestlers. And usually, you know, you might say it's nepotism, but usually they're trying to, they go out the way, don't they, to, to not do that and not, you know, bring in daughters and sons of, of agents or make it too obvious that they're, they're giving them a strong push. So they must be high on it to, to use her there. I think Isla Dawn will be good as well. Yeah, I think that, again, I think it's NXT UK is just, it's a bit of a mystery at the moment. You mentioned there's, Coming soon is all we got on the graphic. We don't know where, we don't know when, we don't know what. Uh, it's all just a bit up in the air, isn't it? Um, we're gonna, I think we're gonna get this, the, the second lot of tapings proper before we even know, you know, where the first lot of tapings are airing. And I always think there's a danger when you leave these things in the can too long. It just, it's not exactly exciting when we get to, to watch on the network these couple of month old shows. Yeah. So hopefully they get a move on. Well, that's what uh, suffered from those Norwich tapings they did the other year, and it mm. spent a couple of weeks, and then they were on the network, and it was kind of like a bit of a uh, fart in church, wasn't it? You know, it kind of like nobody really <laughs> cared about it or was bothered about it. But um, it's sort of really interesting that we've got a uh, world of sport on ITV, and then WWE are trying to uh, shop this round to a TV channel, and then potentially Red Pro sort of uh, having a TV deal and, uh, you know, it's kind of like a bus this, isn't it? You wait for uh, one British promotion <laughs> to get a TV deal and maybe three come along at once. Yeah, I mean it does, it sounds like from the the NXT conference call, Triple H did, that they are still shopping this thing around. I don't think it's just rumour. I mean, if it was just going to be on the network, 
they'd outright say it, wouldn't they? And mm. if it was just going to be on Sky Sports, I think they'd outright say it too. I mean, uh, you know, speaking to Will Cooling, who writes for Fighting Spirit magazine, he kind of said, how weird is it that they've gone from calling it WWE UK to calling it NXT UK? Maybe there's some kind of loophole there that you can't put a WWE show on a, oh, on yeah. a channel that's not Sky. But if you call it NXT UK, maybe you can just be cheeky enough to, to throw it somewhere else and, and shop it round. Because, uh, yeah, the obvious answer would have been either put it on the network or put it on put it on uh, sky, sky one or, or something yeah. yeah sky one would work yeah or maybe yeah one of the the lower sky channels that you could do it but to be honest they've left it so long now by the time it happens itv might be dead you know <laughs> itv won't be on t- i think it's going to be the end of this run isn't it we're going to get to the end of the 10 episode first run of itv maybe that's what they're waiting for and if if nothing you know there's no word of a second series it does just get quietly released on the network but certainly curious that it's it's taken this long you'd think with it with all the panic um that led to them setting up wwuk they would have moved a bit more swiftly than this well i mean obviously wwe really want one of the uh five major networks in the uk wouldn't they and itv is obviously out of the question uh currently and i can't see the bbc wanting anything to do with this <laughs> so that leaves sort of like channel four who've obviously uh, we're showing WWE pay-per-views back in 2001, but I had so many complaints about it, so <laughs> yeah. like they washed their hands of it. But do you think enough time's passed for Channel 4 to be interested in a, a less offensive WWE show? I think, yeah, I think it's a different uh, era. And I remember that one. I think it was Rumble 2000 the year, wasn't there? With that the was it, 2000. Sorry, wire. I said 2001, yeah. Yeah, that barbed wire bat spot with Triple H. And, and McFar- I think I remember watching Points of View and there was complaints uh, and there was just people moaning about the being... I mean, fair enough. I mean, at the time, we were wrestling fans going, what's wrong with them powerbombing, with Lita getting powerbombed to the table? Uh, and then a regular viewers watching it going, this should not be on TV. This should not be on Sunday afternoons on, on Heath on Channel 4. But yeah, I think enough time has passed that it's a possibility. Um, and yeah, maybe for them to step on the toes of Sky, it would need to be something. You know, a bit interesting like that, something where they're going to be in a lot of homes and they're going to have a, a high profile. Because otherwise, yeah, you think they would have moved by now and they would have would have done something. Um, but yeah, Channel 4, maybe Channel 5, but obviously they've got 5 Spike and, you know, they've obviously tried running with Impact before. I don't know if, how much of a success that was for them. Uh, I can't see that being the answer either. Um, a weird one. Yeah, it's uh, strange that you say we've got uh, ITV on TV and, and RevPro and, and WWE shopping their TV rounds. It'll be interesting to see where everybody lines up and yeah maybe we'll get our own version of the the monday night wars finally uh, in the uk this year <laughs> yeah the saturday night tea time wars yeah <laughs> <laughs> So uh, go, moving on to the last segment, uh, we did a shout out some uh, feedback on the forum and uh, Christian um, said, hey guys, sort of his, his main question was the thoughts on Kid Lycos, the guy has had a really unlucky year and his return was short-lived, but CCK already got a lot in that short time, winning the Progress and Fight Club Pro tag team titles. Um, he not only felt bad for Lycos, but also for Brooks, who has now randomly picked Timothy Thatcher as his partner for the Wembley show, which is something we're going to discuss in more depth on the next show. Um, I mean, he's the main question from that was asking if, uh, do you think Lycos is now labelled injury prone? Yeah, he is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think it's it's really unfortunate, but the fact that it's happened so often in the last two years, he, my heart goes out to him. He's so, it feels unlucky. Um... Is it a style thing? Is it the fact that he's a bit smaller in stature? I don't want to, you know, get into his head too much on, on, on what the issue could be. It could, it's probably, you know, it's probably maybe a combination of those things. Maybe it's luck. 
Um, but yeah, it, it does feel like he's on the shelf uh, an awful lot. Uh, feel terrible for him, like uh, like because you mentioned there. I feel bad for Brooks as well because uh, Brooks is kind of yeah floating. But I think part of the reason Brooks didn't go to WWE is that he could continue his tag team with Lycos outside of WWE, and that's not happening. And yeah, we'll we'll get into progress more on our next show. But he's scrambling for tag partners instead. Uh, yeah, it's a really sad situation all in all. Uh, but yeah, I worry for him. I, I just hope we said this last time when he when he comes back, he comes back when he's fully fit and he's fully yeah. ready and he doesn't go and get injured again. Because if it happens, uh, are we on three times now? A fourth time? Or I think a, so. It seems to have been happening a lot the last couple of years, doesn't it? Yeah, fifth time. It's it's just really sad. Uh, the, the people who've got a, a lot of goodwill with fans and it's great that I think fans have been going out the way to buy his merch and, and get money to him yeah, to support definitely. him in, in this time. That's an awesome thing. But yeah, you'd, CCK should be on top of the world right now, capitalising on all that fan support and yeah unfortunately these uh these injuries keep stopping him yeah it's uh, it's just such a real shame and um christian had another question for us here about icw yes um have you guys been watching any of it he he was a pretty diehard fan of it about a year ago but he's fallen off a lot i mean uh yes us what are your thoughts of it and what do you think they'll do for their big fear and loathing show later this year and uh at this stage anything could go on that card well um I mean, I'll just jump in here before you, Ben. I was a, I was a big ICW fan um, on the lead up to their first big arena show, the uh, Fear and Loathing that they had in 2015. I, I went to see a couple of shows on the tour they did around the UK. I know uh, one of them in Sheffield, where I live, was a uh, um, headlined by a fantastic match between Drew Galloway and uh, Tommy End. Obviously, it was now Alistair Black. And, uh, yeah, um, Grado chasing Drew Galloway for the title was uh, the big main event, uh, the Fear and Loathing show. It looked fantastic in the uh, SEC Hall. Uh, did about 4,000. Uh, top to bottom, a really good card and really, really enjoyed it. But um past so, a couple of years, it's really dropped off for me. I mean, um, they had one of their major shows, Shug's House Party, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I, I didn't even notice that it was happening. And, yeah, I think too much of the same storylines, Red Lightning coming back too many times, um, sort of things not really changing, them bringing way too many guys in to try and fill these fear and loathing shows. And, obviously, we've seen they're still doing decent numbers uh, now they're running the bigger venue of the Hydro. But, um, for me, it's just just holds no interest for me anymore. I don't know about you, Benno. I was never interested, to be honest. It's never been a, sorry, it's never been a product for me. It just hasn't. Um, the odd time we've watched it for this show and our, 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 for British Audio Wrestling, our previous show, we've jumped in on bad shows and we've jumped in on shows where I thought, oh, actually, you know what? I'm going to give ICW a chance now. And they just always burn me. Like you said, the, the endless red light and stuff, the, the endless, you know, seven dudes in black t-shirts with beards creating a new stable again it's just rinse repeat with icw um they were the, they were the first company to blow weren't they in brit res they were kind of the start i think of this brit res boom and the fact that they've cooled down a bit should probably be a bit concerning for for everybody because yeah. you know, i could see maybe the rest of the market following suit maybe we're being propped up by the itv and, and wwe uk stuff right now because progress aren't having a great time this year either at least as far as the quality of stories and everything they're putting together but yeah icw you just they've got their, their fans up in scotland and they've got their very angry fans who are probably gonna get very angry at me for saying i never <laughs> liked it but <laughs> they've still got their passionate fans that's a good thing uh but it does feel like in the the wider conscious of brit res you just don't hear about them um they almost yeah they just don't don't always translate you know further down south in the uk and yeah they just don't seem to be 
very newsworthy right now. I'm sure we'll we'll jump back in with, you know, Fear and Loathing or with with their other big shows. And I'm open minded to watch them, but yeah, just they've never really grabbed me. And this year especially seems like a real, real quiet year. Um, I, I kind of thought they'd, they they'd end up on the network, and maybe that maybe Mark Dallas could finally sell up and and shut down and be happy with what he's what he's done over the last few years. But it's good for the, the Scottish scene that they're carrying on. I suppose just yeah, not something that's hugely interested me this year, or doesn't seem to have hugely interested uh, a lot of people in uh, in British wrestling. It'll certainly be interesting to see that Fear and Loathing show because they pushed it back a month. It's usually in November, and this year it's in mm-hmm. December. Obviously, they run up to Christmas. People are spending a lot of money on presents and. Fans family and uh yeah and it, it looked it looked quite empty last year didn't it um not embarrassingly so but yeah it looked a lot more emptier than the year before and it'll be interesting to see how, how many they've already sold or what they're going to sell for this year's show definitely yeah i think that's again they, they were already i already would have said yeah they'll probably do worse this year but moving it closer to christmas that just feels like a recipe for disaster but hey maybe we'll surprise us and those uh those hardcore fans will turn out in numbers maybe it'll be a, a good christmas present for some people uh and maybe the uh the stories of the downfall have been uh, exaggerated but yeah i'm not confident for them at all and uh yeah thanks to uh, christine for the feedback there of course you can uh go over to the post wrestling forum and uh leave us your feedback for this week's show or any questions that you might have for us and uh yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back on the 5th of September, taking a look at uh, OTT WrestleRama and uh, Progress's USA Tour and the shows they've got coming up with WXW.